Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong, good Saturday morning to you. I'm Jason Kong, and Bill Alexander is here. Bill, how are you? Good morning. Doing great. Bill, Hope you're, you're doing well. I am. I'm trying my best to stay cool. I, I tried to bring a kiddie pool here in the studio this morning, but <laughs> yeah. that was uh, that was quickly turned down it, by the it, higher ups. It would be nice. Well, it is clearly summertime, and uh, of course. Uh, folks, I mean, I hope folks got up at six o'clock this morning if they wanted to do anything outside, <laughs> particularly uh, if they were doing any yard work or gardening or or doing anything uh, like that. Um, you know, early morning and, and evening are uh, great times to be outside right now, but right now or midday or for the next uh, number of hours, uh, not a good idea to be out outside in the sun. Uh, you know, people who are outside need to be drinking lots of water. You know, hydration means a whole lot. And um, and truthfully, staying in the shade, you know, or staying inside in air conditioning, uh, you know, if you want something to do, go to the farmer's market and stay under the shelter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the kind of thing where um, uh, outside work is probably not a good idea. And if you're playing then hopefully you're playing in or near the water where you can jump in occasionally and cool off because um, it's um, it, it's pretty mean out there right now and people need to respect the weather you, you know folks respect when it rains and they respect when it thunderstorms and they respect when it's windy but people forget to respect the heat and it's uh, the heat can get to you faster than any of it yeah it'll creep up on you real quick i, I know it's real hot this week because my, <laughs> my dog is panting just when we get to the end of the driveway he's he's gassed he's well, like okay well, actually you bring up a good point don't forget about your pets that's right and uh, to the to all those uh, gardeners out there too uh, if you get up early you, you may want to Put a little extra water on the plants too, because they're going to be thirsty as well. They're going to dry out, and uh, it, it gets it's it's just a tough time. And hopefully, we'll get a little more uh, coolness and some rain. But uh, it it is it is what it is. So you got to respect that. You certainly do. Well, Bill, let's let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show today. And we've uh, we mentioned this, uh, I believe, uh, either last show or the show before. But you wanted to bring up the uh, fiduciary rule again. Well, you, you know, I, I pretty much ended the show last week, uh, just basically letting people know that the fiduciary rule was turned down by the courts, and it, and so. First of all, let me put it in perspective because a lot of folks are saying, what is that? <laughs> uh, I get it. Um, basically, if um, uh, most of us uh, go to a financial advisor of some sort or, or we use a financial advisor uh, of some sort, and the old rule, uh, the one that had been in place from the get-go, has has been and is still now uh, the appropriate investment rule. And so that basically means that if you um, are buying stocks, bonds, mutual funds, um, or, or the like, um, then you the, the investment, whatever it was that your advisor recommended, had to be an appropriate investment for you personally. 
Now, we can talk about what that means, and I want to, but um, it's not a very high standard. <laughs> and that's uh, so, in essence, the Department of Labor uh, last year uh, to be implemented, first it was supposed to be implemented, in, uh, I believe, in April, and then that it was pushed to June. Uh, and it had to do with retirement accounts, you know, not regular investments, but retirement accounts. And it basically said that your investment advisor, uh, when dealing with your retirement accounts, had to act in your personal best interest. Now, that's a high standard, not a low standard. In other words, what was an investment that was in your best interest, not the financial advisor's best interest. Whether it was appropriate or not, it had to be in your best interest. Um, so obviously, for instance, if there was one fund of equal um, you know, income and safety and all that stuff, and one had a higher commission and one had a lower commission, then the Department of Labor rule would say that the advisor had to recommend the one with the lower commission because that would have made you more money and, and had been in your best interest. So the appropriate um, uh, investment rule would allow the uh, investment advisor to, to recommend either. And you obviously re realize that most those folks out there would recommend the one that where they would make more money if it was an equal investment otherwise. So, and that, but either fund would be appropriate, but one is in your best interest and the other is not. <laughs> so the fiduciary rule basically means that the advisor was acting as your fiduciary. And a fiduciary is where you are acting on behalf of someone else, but that you must act in their best interest. That's that's a, a very high standard. And in, in fact, uh, it's also a standard that we use in the law. Uh, so I'll bring up the similarities. If if I appoint you as my agent under a power of attorney, my healthcare agent or my financial agent, sometimes that's called my power of attorney or more appropriately attorney in fact. Um, and in fact, the General Assembly, uh, the North Carolina General Assembly, um, last year uh, enacted changes to the um, North Carolina uh, general power of attorney. And so now, in the statutes, it basically says that we prefer the term agent over the term attorney in fact. Um, but it, it means the same thing. Okay, so now you're my agent. I've appointed you in a document, a legal document. Well, there is a fiduciary standard where you have to look after my best interest. Now, there's a little twist when it comes to the legal part because in North Carolina, the first standard, the fiduciary standard, is you will – make decisions on my behalf that are consistent with what I would decide if you know what I would do. In other words, if I've told you what I would do, then you have a fiduciary obligation to do what I would do. All right, you got that? 
Now, that's not the same thing as what's in my best interest because as human beings, we don't always do what's in our best interest. Sometimes we do stupid things. (laughs) Or we do things just because we want to do them a certain way. And maybe it's not our best interest, but it's still what we want. And what we want should be the test. So... Uh, Now, there are other states that have a different rule. In other words, some states say that the best interest rule is number one. Whatever the person would do is number two. In North Carolina, what we would do is number one, and our best interest is number two. Hopefully, they're the same 99% of the time, but we all know that that's not true. (laughs) Okay. Now, that's different. So... Bottom line is the Department of Labor was saying that our financial people have to do what is in our best interest. Now, there are a lot of advisors out there who say, well, I always do what's in my client's best interest, and some of them actually do, that that's what they're looking after, and that's the, those are the ones who really do a good job. But it would be hard to for you to know unless you research every recommendation they make to see how it compares with other recommendations. Over time, you get a pretty good sense of that. But, it, you know, you know if you've really gotten taken to the cleaners by somebody or if, uh, if the um, uh, recommendations haven't panned out the way they said they would and things like that. And, uh, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, so nobody's going to be perfect. But over time, you know whether somebody's given you really good advice or just mediocre or sometimes pretty bad advice. And that makes a big difference. Well, the bottom line is, why is that so important? And, of course, because it dealt with retirement accounts, which are so important to all of us in terms of our future in retirement years, um, you know, the senior organizations like AARP and others were very much behind having a fiduciary rule so that advisors would be obligated to do what's in our best interest, as opposed to the old standard, is it an appropriate investment? Because the bottom line is, if an advisor breached the rule, typically they were liable to you. You could get your money back. You know, uh, you you could um, be made whole, if you will. But if somebody made an appropriate investment that went sour, for one reason or another, then no, you 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 the standard's fairly low. But the bottom line is, unless they really messed up, you you were good. Well, okay. So we, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is is that. Uh, the current administration, federal administration, um, delayed the implementation of the fiduciary rule technically. But you also have to understand that all of the advisory companies um, fell in line. They did what the – I mean, they basically put in uh, procedures for investment advisors so that they wouldn't be caught – Um, not trying to fulfill the fiduciary rule. So in essence, all of the companies put in procedures uh, for their people to uh, do what uh, was in uh, the the client's best interest. Now, 
actually what's really interesting is because most of the companies dealt with both retirement accounts and non-retirement, just regular investment accounts, they couldn't put in two different processes. That was too complicated. So they either had to go whole hog, all fiduciary, or not. Um, And if they were going to comply with the Department of Labor rule, then the bottom line is they had to go with the fiduciary rule and put in processes for everyone to do what was in the client's best interest every time for retirement accounts, which the Department of Labor rule actually covered, and non-retirement accounts because they had wanted one process, not two. two they didn't want two different standards. Now, come the, the uh, Court of Appeal, United States Court of Appeals, And they basically ruled that the Department of Labor did not have the authority to create such a rule. Okay? Follow. So, bottom line is, we don't have a fiduciary rule anymore, and it basically means that your financial advisors uh, don't have to meet the fiduciary rule anymore. And so uh, it's highly unlikely that our current Congress is going to do anything regarding that. And so it, it, it appears, and basically uh, it appears that the standard uh, will in fact be going forward the appropriate investment rules, which basically means you have to look out for yourself to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of by your investment advisor. Uh, now, for what it's worth, attorneys are always obligated, and this is every state, uh, not just here in North Carolina, um, but attorneys have an obligation to always do what's in their client's best interest. Now, it's what the attorney believes is in the client's best interest, which is not always what the client wants, and sometimes people don't want to hear what you have to advise them, but... Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where the fiduciary rule is a standard rule for attorneys. It's not a standard rule for a lot of professionals. You know, they're just totally different in terms of how it works. Now, um, uh, one thing that's a little bit unique about me uh, is the fact that I, I do, in fact, Uh, go over financials. I'm one of the few attorneys, estate planners, who also is very familiar with financials, uh, investments, and the like. And I uh, can and often do review insurance policies and investments for clients uh, as it relates to that. And, you know, my law license is very important to me. And as an attorney, I do have a fiduciary standard. So I'll always have a fiduciary standard, uh, but uh, and, and like I said, there are financial advisors out there who um, uh, consistently make recommendations that are in their client's best interest, but then they're not held to that standard. So the bottom line is, if they at any time breach that uh, standard, uh, there is n- nothing there to hold them accountable as long as the investment is appropriate. So you might say, well, what does that mean? (laughs) What's appropriate? Well, appropriate gets into how old are you? Uh, what, What is your risk tolerance? And how much money do you have to invest? And what's the purpose of your investment? 
you know, those are the factors that go in to appropriate investment. And, you know, if, if you tell your investment advisor that you're very, very conservative, you don't want to lose your money and things like that, that ties their hands to those types of investments. On the other hand, if you say, I'm a wild investor, I, I, want, uh, I don't mind taking risk, then that opens the door to a lot of different things. But, you know, most people fall in the middle. They're, they're, um, they, they want modest returns but little risk. Um, it's, most folks are not served well by taking no risk at all because the folks who take no risk uh, lose money to inflation uh, because typically those investments don't beat inflation. So it's almost like having your money in your mattress uh, you're losing money every year. And truthfully, seniors can't really afford that either because um, they need their uh, retirement funds to increase enough to where they won't run out of money. It's a huge fear for seniors. Um, I mean, now I'm talking about folks with modest means. Uh, obviously, if you're worth $10 million or more, you don't have to worry about running out of money. But you're okay. most, most of us don't fall into that uh, category. So how our money is managed and investment and invested is extremely important to us and and um, so that fiduciary rule is uh, or the lack of a fiduciary rule at this point is important for folks to know the difference uh, and to know to look after themselves when it comes to recommendations made it's very important and it, it unfortunately i guess it shifts a lot of the burden back onto the consumer well we'll continue our conversation here in just a bit stick around you're listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander on news radio 680 wptf Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Want to remind you if you want to set up an appointment with Bill, you can do that by going to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. Or you can uh, call the office at 919 256 7000. 919 256 7000. And Bill, uh, we just wrapped up talking about the changes to the fiduciary rule, and I know you wanted to uh, bring up the subject of some VA issues that we need to address here. Oh, well, I, I need to talk about uh, veterans and benefits uh, from time to time. It's really important. Our, you know, veterans are the folks who served in our military. Um, they're patriots. Uh, you know, we've had a volunteer. Uh, military for many, many years now. Um, so the great majority of veterans that we know today uh, were, in fact, volunteers, those who decided that they would, in fact, serve for the benefit of our country. And, and so veterans are patriots. Pet veterans are folks who love our country and love their neighbors and were willing to put their own blood on the line. And that's really important. 
now, I will say this. The Veterans Administration is a huge bureaucracy, uh, absolutely huge. And um, there are three divisions of it. You have the health care uh, division. Uh, you have the benefits division, and then you you have uh, the NCA, which basically is responsible for the grave sites and and also uh, the flags and other things. And they, the NCA is ex- a fairly small division, but they're extremely efficient, and so they are really really good. Now, of course, the two monster divisions, the health care and the benefits area are not so efficient. Uh, but they're doing a pretty good job. You have to under, for the most part. And I will say this, the VA is getting better, particularly with processing claims. In other words, instead of taking two years to deny your claim, now they're only taking about four to six months to deny your claim. <laughs> so they're becoming more efficient. Um uh, and I, I say that in jest, but when it comes to benefits, I do I do believe that the knee-jerk reaction to every application is you're denied. And, you know, if you want to appeal, come back to see us, you know, that sort of thing. Now, that's not necessarily true for folks who have some professional help, but it seems to be more true than not for folks who try to do it on their, on their own. And that's a sad thing thing because truthfully most benefits you should be able to get without having professional help but the VA is just one of those organizations where they have such complex rules in terms of how they look at applications that most folks would do better to have uh, help uh, from someone who actually is accredited and understands the VA system uh, with anything they do. Now, I'll also say this. Most veterans, this may surprise you, most veterans, the great majority of veterans, serve the country and then they go on to do whatever they do without any assistance at all from the VA. In other words, the VA is not part of their life, if you will. The healthcare system, which is the largest healthcare system in the world by far, the VA healthcare system, um, it, you know, it does um, get uh, ridiculed at times. But truthfully, for the most part, the services provided through the healthcare system are uh, as good, as efficient as the private healthcare system. Now, that, that's not true in every case, but the VA does a pretty decent job, particularly in, in this area. But Americans should know that most veterans are not eligible for VA healthcare benefits to get any service whatsoever. Uh, the VA has a priority list of those who can be serviced. And of course, the uh, top of the list are folks who were injured while serving the country. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean during a period of war. You can be injured in training. You can be uh, injured playing softball for the, you know, for the the, the company uh, team. But it's uh, the bottom line is is if you were injured in service and had a permanent disability rating, 
when you uh, were discharged from the military, then you had the ability to receive VA health care benefits. So, and there are a lot of other groups. Uh, the VA does help veterans who are very poor and have little income and, and no assets, the, but uh, they're the pretty at the bottom of the ladder of priorities. If you were a prisoner of war, if you had a Purple Heart, uh, that basically means you were seriously injured um, in combat. Um, uh, if um, uh, and if you receive VA pension benefits, then um, th- then you you are eligible for the health care. And now, let's so say, well, what's the VA pension? Well, the the VA pension is a really, really important benefit for seniors. But the first thing you got to know is that it's not a pension. <laughs> the VA, uh, in fact, a lot of people think the name of this program is the Aid and Attendance Program, which it's not. The Aid and Attendance is an add-on to a bunch of different VA programs. But the, the one for seniors seems to be called the Aid and Attendance Program, even though that's an area. What they're referring to is the improved pension program that can be the base improved pension, or it can be improved pension with housebound, which is a higher level, or the highest level is improved pension with aid and attendance, because you need the aid and attendance of others. The housebound level is typically for a veteran uh, who cannot drive. In other words, uh, they can't drive, so they need – doesn't mean that they can't go out and putter in around in the yard or go outside the house. They're not housebound in that sense, but they're housebound in the sense that if they need to go to the store, the doctor, the dentist, the lawyer, whatever, somebody has to take them because they can't get there on their own. Um, that's being housebound. But if you have, if you need, for instance, home health care, where somebody has to help you dress or help you bathe or help you uh, eat or prepare meals or help you take your medication or help you get to the bathroom or take your shower or bath or whatever, that's where you need the assistance of others. And that is the that's where the pension with aid and attendance comes along. Now, the pension program is not for any and all veterans. It is only for those veterans who served in the military on active duty during a period of war. So we still have some veterans who served during World War II. We have a number of veterans who served during the Korean conflict. And now we're seeing far more veterans who actually served during Vietnam. Um, so in essence, the Vietnam veterans are coming of age. They're becoming seniors at this point. <laughs> or they may be thinking, oh, I'm already a senior. Um, but the bottom line is those folks who served on active duty between Korea and um, Vietnam are not war period veterans. Um, and so, for instance, uh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis is not a war period. The invasion of Panama is not a war. The um, liberation of Grenada, Grenada, Grenada 
that's that's not a war period. Uh, so basically, now of course we have the desert war veterans, but they're not seniors at this point. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, so the bottom line is now with the pension program, um, it can help a veteran who needs aid and attendance. A lot of folks don't realize it can also help the widow of a war period veteran as long as after becoming a widow, um, and this doesn't include divorced spouses of veterans, only the widows, you know, who were married to the veteran when they died. Um, it also, but it does include widows and widowers of war period veterans. I don't want to leave the ladies out who served admirably and, and patriotically in our service, armed forces as well, because their husbands would be covered if they did not serve. Um, uh, and the spouses. Now, the VA will never tell you that the spouses are covered, and it's really how you look at it. Because the veteran is looking at it, I'm spending, I'm healthy, but I'm spending a lot of money on my very sick spouse. And the test for the VA, income and asset test, is a household test. So they're going to look at the veteran and the veteran spouse's income, as well as their combined assets in their test. And there's a funky rule. If you're, over, if you're 65 years of age as a veteran, for purposes of the pension program only, you're considered 100% disabled without being rated, okay? So that's the rule that allows the veteran to receive benefits for their spouse who needs the aid and attendance of others. Now, it's at a lower level in terms of how much they will pay each month, but it's important for folks to know that all three categories are covered. Now, the most important thing for folks to realize on this program is that it's not a pension. It is a reimbursement program for long-term care expenses. Now, the VA doesn't say it's long-term care expenses. Of course, they're not going to tell you what it's really for. It's a secret. But... <laughs> But the uh, program pays for what they call medical expenses that are recurring and unreimbursed, okay? That's what the pension actually reimburses you for. Well, what are medical expenses that are recurring and not reimbursed? Well, there's really only two things if you think about it. Number one is the cost of your medical insurance. So your Medicare premium would be included, your Part D premium would be included because you're paying that every month. And if you have any Medigap or supplement insurance, because we're talking about folks over 65 here. So the bottom line is everybody there, or almost everybody, is paying insurance premiums. Uh, so those are recurring and unreimbursed. And then once you get past that, Virtually everything is a long-term care expense. It's paying somebody to help you with uh, the assistance that you need. What, at what level? Whatever level it is. At home, whether you're in independent living or assisted living or nursing care or at home, having home care, uh, the program can help you. So we, we can talk about it a little bit more. I know we need to take a break. Um, uh, so we can come back and talk a little bit more about the VA pension program. 
we will do just that. And again, uh, if they can't even get the names of the programs right for what they actually do. This is why it's so important to have a professional help you out. And if you need assistance, I want to encourage you to schedule an appointment with Bill today. 919-256-7000. That's 919-256-7000. You can also do that online at WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. That's also the place where you can sign up for July's free seminar where you can find more information about what we're talking about. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that right after the break. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're uh, having a discussion right now about uh, the VA pension and uh, issues surrounding veterans, Bill. And I just want to remind everyone that uh, you've got another free seminar coming up July 11th, and this is, uh, again, a topic that's often discussed mm-hmm. at your seminars as well. Well, we always talk about VA, this particular VA benefit, but we all we talk about all of the different government programs, and this is one that's important to folks. And people, you know, folks out there might be thinking, well, I'm not a veteran and my spouse is not a veteran. Why, you know, why should I listen to this? Well, all of us, even if it doesn't apply to us directly, we have friends, we have family members, we have an uncle who served, we, we have our neighbor who served, we have church friends who served. And if you can just get the message to them that there may be a benefit that could help them with long-term care, that's huge because nobody can afford long-term care, the cost of long-term care. It's uh, the majority of folks do not have long-term care insurance, and the majority of folks are not rich where it doesn't, you know, that they can afford to lose three or four or five hundred thousand dollars and still have enough money to live the rest of their lives. Long-term care is a real um, problem financially for seniors. And the unfortunate statistic is that at least half of us will, in fact, need long-term care in a significant way. And that's pretty scary when you think about it. So this is the kind of thing where even if you don't get, uh, haven't been listening intently, uh, if you, the, the the truth is is that uh, folks who who have friends and neighbors and family who are veterans, they need to make sure that they're because don't assume that your veteran friends know about this program. Truth is, most of them don't pay attention, and most of them have no clue that this program is out there and can help them. The VA does not write to veterans and say, Hey, folks, you've you're, you've turned sixty-five. Don't forget that we can help you if if we have if you have this problem, come see us. We're here to help. That is not the way the VA does things. Okay, <laughs> so you know somebody has to be the messenger to let folks who are war period veterans or family members of war period veterans know that there is a benefit out here. Now, I've said war period, and I've I will. I'll tell you this too. Uh, 
I've, I've helped numerous people who have come to see me and said, you know, I joined the military right after the war. And if uh, truthfully, in almost every case, uh, now we're, we're generally talking World War II and Korea at this point, but the majority of times is they are considered war period veterans because most people think of the war period as when the fighting stopped. But the, actually, the war period actually includes the post-war period until the armistice is signed in each case which typically is about a year and a half after the fighting actually stopped. So folks who entered the service right after the fighting stopped are still war period veterans, even though they may not had the same kind of risks that those folks who were. Now, the other thing, too, is you do if you were in the military somewhere in the world while a war was going on, you're still a war period veteran. You do not have to have... Um, uh, a, a ribbon that basically says that you served in the Pacific or or whatever during uh, during the war. Um, uh, the bottom line is, if you served in the continental United States while the war was going on, that's fine. You're still a war period veteran. Uh, makes it the only thing they're looking for is when when did you enter active duty and when did you get out of service uh, on active duty. Uh, they're looking at those dates and comparing it to the war period dates, and that's, that's it. Uh, you don't even have to have an honorable discharge. You just can't have a dishonorable discharge. Uh, you lose all rights with a dishonorable. Um, and so and now, how do you, you know, there are folks out there in the community that will have a program particularly in independent living and assisted living places about this program. If you're, at, if you're trying to f learn how to discern the credibility of those folks who are doing these programs, a couple questions will, will answer it. A ask if they are accredited uh, VA advisors. The majority of these people are not, and they're not supposed to be giving advice to any veteran. If, now, what a lot of them will say is, oh, well, I'm part of a group where we have a, an accredited advisor. To me, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for someone who is an experienced VA accredited advisor. Those are the folks that the VA wants to uh, – people to be able to give advice to and not others. If the presenter says the best way to qualify for this program is to buy an annuity, <laughs> that should be a hint that the, these are not the right folks because there are times when annuities are appropriate particularly for retirement accounts as it relates to this program. But there's some negatives. There's downsides to annuities as well, uh, even if they're VA-compliant annuities. Um, in other words, they have to be structured a certain way to, to, be, um, to work with this program. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that there are oftentimes, for many folks, better, easier ways uh, to um, skin the cat without an annuity. Um, 
And so that, that's a telltale sign that you're being taken advantage of if that's the case. Yeah. So just something for folks to, to be aware of. Those are some great tips, and we'll continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. To asset protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're uh, switching topics a little bit here and we're going to get into uh, IRA conversions. Well, uh, in other words, the question is, and I have this all the time should a person uh, take the hit, pay the income tax, and convert a traditional in, uh, individual retirement account, IRA, to a Roth? retirement account. The advantage of the Roth being that uh, the bottom line is if you're in a Roth, you've already paid the income tax, uh, it grows income tax-free, and when you take it out, it comes out income tax-free, and there is no minimum required distribution at age 70 and a half, like there is with a traditional IRA. Um, So, do you convert? Well, the bottom line is this. Um, if you're very, very wealthy and likely to have a state tax, okay? Now, for those folks who are not going to die in the next couple few years, because we, you know, right now the exemption is $11.18 million, so there are very, very few people that have to worry about a state tax at this point. But in seven and a half years, it's going to drop back down to 5.6 million and then be indexed from there. So the bottom line is more people will have that worry. But if you have a large estate, then converting is a good idea for two reasons. Number one is that it will reduce the amount of your estate because you're pre, you're basically uh, agreeing to pay the income tax in advance. So that, by its nature, is going to push push your net worth a little bit lower because your net worth is normally not figured in with income tax liability to that which you don't have to take. So that's helpful. The other thing that a lot of folks are not thinking about is the fact that now with the new tax rules, if you have to pay estate tax, you used to be able to deduct that from your income tax return. But that's not the case anymore. So you're not going to get an income tax deduction, and you're just going to get hit with that 40% estate tax. So keeping your estate under that is um, important so that you don't have to pay estate tax. And one way to do it is to go ahead and pay income tax prepaid because you're going to have to pay the income tax at some point or your uh, children will have to pay that income tax at some point with a traditional IRA. So now the mistake that most people make in conversion is they do it in their middle years, if you will, when they're at their highest tax rate. That's the time not generally for most people to convert unless they're extremely wealthy and they're, they're at that highest rate anyway. 
Yeah. Well, that's, uh, again, some more good tips because uh, you do hear a lot about that, but you got to know that uh, unless the situation is right for you, it could end up costing you uh, a whole lot, actually, if you're not careful. Well, it's important to get advice from either a tax attorney or a CPA about converting and running the numbers for you. Of course, there are a lot of engineers around here. They'll run their own numbers, which is always fun. But, um, you know, getting good tax advice is really important to folks as it relates to that kind of issue, because those are big dollar numbers for us. Yeah, you don't want to walk into a surprise there. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. To asset protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Just want to remind everyone that you can catch more Bill tomorrow morning on the CW22 at 8 a.m. with your TV show Money Secrets with Bill and Mike. And you also have a book out by the same name. We do. Available uh, at Amazon. And uh, again, that's, a, that's another great way for folks to get some great tips from you, Bill. Absolutely. And, and, and I guess I did my parting self-serving shot would be that uh, people should rely on good professionals because you you can't know what you don't know and a good professional will save you money i mean yes you'll pay them uh, but a good professional over time will save save you a lot more money than than what it costs to use a good professional services and that's true whether it's a cpa or an attorney uh, or uh, a financial advisor. Yeah, and if you need to set up a, a, an appointment or set up an appointment with a, a guy that you can trust, that's Bill Alexander, and you can do that by going to wgalaw.com or call his office, 919-256-7000. We are out of time for this week. We hope you'll join us again at the same time next week. It's every Saturday at 11. It's Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a great weekend, everyone.